you will take, uh, take your Bible and stand with me for the scripture reading this morning. And turn to Matthew chapter 25 as Pastor Bruce continues in his summer series on the spirit fruit, the fruit of the spirit. We're going to look at faithfulness this morning. Matthew 25, we'll be reading verses 14 through 30 as we see the fruit of faithfulness. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit and the the fruit in our lives. We follow you and place our trust in you. Open our hearts and minds to learn and to be faithful uh, to you and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Great to see each and every one of you here on this beautiful weekend. And uh, as Zach said, we're continuing in our summer series that we've been in all summer long, a study of the fruit of the Spirit, a series we've been calling Spirit Fruit, Becoming the Person God Wants You to Be by yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. If you remember, the Spirit fruit is stuff that we cannot produce on our own. These nine qualities that we've been looking at, these nine character traits, uh, we do not have the power within us, uh, in us, to produce it. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to produce each of these fruits of the Spirit. And so now we come to the spirit fruit of faithfulness that we're going to focus on this morning. In fact, when you hear the word faithfulness, what normally comes to your mind? I'm sure you think of many things. You may even think of some people uh, that you identify with faithfulness. You may think of stuff uh, that you identify with faithfulness. I tend to think of... uh, you know, something at Yellowstone National Park, and right now all of you are thinking the same thing, right? Old Faithful. Yes, tend to come to my mind. In fact, how many have seen Old Faithful? Anybody ever been there and seen it? Oh, quite a few of you. 
Uh, I missed my one opportunity to see Old Faithful at Yellowstone. Um, in the 90s, my wife and I went with her family to Yellowstone National Park, what we, were, what we thought we were going to go to, Yellowstone National Park. Uh, the week before we left is when the government shut down and all the national parks shut down, and so we didn't get to go to Yellowstone National Park. We drove out there, and we did everything outside of Yellowstone National Park. So I have yet to see Old Faithful. So those of you that have seen Old Faithful, you can tell me all about it. I've read about it. Of the 200 geysers at Yellowstone National Park, Old Faithful is by far the favorite. There are larger and more powerful geysers than Old Faithful, yet it remains the most famous of all the geysers for one reason and one reason only, because of its Faithfulness is dependability. Every 65 minutes, Old Faithful shoots a stream of boiling water, get this, 170 feet into the air. You can set your watch by it, they say, and tourists gather on the minute to watch it. Other geysers are unreliable and cannot be safely approached, but when Old Faithful was named in 1870, soldiers actually used it for a laundry because they knew when it would erupt. So what they would do is take off their dirty old clothes, smelly clothes, and lay it over it, put their dirty clothes in it, and then wait for them to be shot into the air clean. Ladies, how would you like that for your laundry? Even today, Old Faithful just keeps spewing along, day after day, week after week, and year after year. Faithfulness. We've even named a geyser Uh, Because of it. Old faithful. Faithfulness is one of those character traits that is greatly admired and appreciated in others. How many have ever been to a 50th wedding anniversary? How many have celebrated a 50th wedding anniversary? Raise your hand. Give it up for these couples that have celebrated 50 years of marriage. Guests congratulate the couple at a 50th wedding anniversary, normally on their perseverance, sticking it out through thick and thin in their marriage. They congratulate them on the longevity of the marriage, and, and then sometimes at these events, uh, you know, my dad did this. He grabbed my wife's hand, and my wife's hand, my, my mom's hand, his wife's hand, and they embraced, and then they publicly thanked each other for their faithfulness. Dad, did you do that? Yeah, sure you did. Kind of reminds me of grandma and grandpa who were sitting in their porch rockers and they were watching the beautiful sunset and reminiscing about the good old days when grandma turned to grandpa and said, Honey, do you remember when we first started dating and you used to casually reach over and grab my hand? Well, grandpa looked over at her and smiled and took her hand in his hand with a witty smile. Grandma pressed a little harder. Honey, do you remember how? After we were engaged, you'd sometimes lean over and suddenly kiss me on the cheek. Grandpa leaned over slowly toward Grandma and gave her a lingering kiss on her wrinkled cheek. Growing bolder still, Grandma said, Honey, do you remember how after we were first married, you'd kind of nibble on my ear? Grandpa slowly got up from his rocker and headed into the house. (laughs) Alarmed by this, Grandma said, Honey, where are you going? Grandpa said, to get my teeth. (laughs) Faithfulness. Faithfulness over the long haul. So while faithfulness is greatly admired in other people, 
There seems to be a rather short supply of it in our culture today. Fewer companies are showing faithfulness to their employees. Companies are often sold out and bought out, and the top top executives cash out. For that same reason, many workers jump from one job to another looking for better pay, better promotions, or whatever the case may be. Today, it seems that for many people, the only commitment they have is to their happiness instead of to faithfulness. So this morning, what I want us to do is examine the spirit fruit of faithfulness from God's Word. See what He has to say about it. And what we're going to do is look at faithfulness in two directions. We're going to look at faithfulness from the direction of God, God's faithfulness to us, and then we're going to look at the direction of faithfulness from us to God. The word faithfulness, well, before we get to that, let's answer the question, what is faithfulness, since we're talking about it. Here's just a simple, quick definition. If you want to jot it down in your notes, you're welcome to. Faithfulness is being dependable. It's being dependable and it's being reliable in our God-given duties and devotion. In fact, this word faithfulness used in Galatians chapter 5 was commonly used in secular Greek for the idea of trustworthiness. Faithfulness, then, is the characteristic of a person who's reliable, who's dependable. This sort of person is called faithful. And in this context in which Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, faithfulness is simply being dependable in the discharge of our duties and even in our devotion to people in principles. I like what one author writes. He gives this definition. He says, faithfulness is doing your duty until your duty is done. Faithfulness over the long haul in our duties and in our devotion. In other words, those who are faithful are dependable and reliable, and therefore we can place our trust in those people. And what we're going to see first is that we can place our trust in our God. Amen? It's a glorious thing to be able to do that. Number one, we see that God exemplifies faithfulness to us as His children, and even to those who are not His children. God exemplifies faithfulness. Faithfulness. He is the essence of faithfulness. We learn from the Bible and even in our personal experience with God that He is utterly faithful. We can stake our life, even our eternity, on His faithfulness. The Bible tells us in numerous places across the Scriptures that God is faithful. Consider just a few of these Scriptures. Some of them are in your notes if you want to follow along. For example, Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is what? Faithful. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the what kind of God? The faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Psalm 105 tells us, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. We're reminded in 2 Timothy 2.13 that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. All through the Bible, the message is the same. You can depend on God. Why? Because He's faithful. So what difference does this make in our lives? 
What implications does it have for you and I as Christ followers today, here in the 21st century, when we walk out of this room this morning, and we go to our jobs, we go to our schools, we do whatever on Monday morning, what difference should it make? What impact should this truth have on our lives? That God is faithful. Well, notice this. Here in your notes coming up on the screen. It makes a huge difference. God's faithfulness is reliable, is dependable. Therefore, we can trust God to redeem us and to return for us. Let me explain. Because perhaps some of you right now are thinking to yourself, redeem me? I thought God redeemed me the day I trusted Jesus for my salvation. And that is true. Listen, God did redeem you. When you put your faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, He saved you from the wages of sin. He declared you righteous in Christ, and He adopted you into His eternal family. And because of that, God no longer deals with you as a sinner, but now deals with you as His son or His daughter in Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. That happened the moment that you placed your faith in Christ. That you repented of your sin and believed in Him for your salvation. He redeemed you. But understand that redemption is just the beginning. Our redemption is not complete until Jesus returns for us and takes us to heaven. This is why when you read in the Scriptures now about the return of Christ, what is often called the second coming, it is connected to, it's often tied to, the re, uh, our redemption in Christ. So when you see the return of Christ in Scripture, more times than not, it is connected to our redemption in Christ. Return in Christ. Redemption. They're tied. Let me show you this in Scripture here. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that He, that is God, who began a good work in you. And you're like, what good work did God begin in me? It's the good work of redemption. We'll carry it on to completion until when? The day of Jesus Christ. And the day of Jesus Christ, that phrase, it's, just, it's a way of saying the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Titus 2, 11 and through 14, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then notice the connection between our redemption in Christ and the return of Christ in 1 Corinthians 1. It's in your notes here in verses 7 through 9. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for what? Our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. In other words, until He returns, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God is what? Faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the point that I want you to see on this. In connection to God's faithfulness, and there's many applications we can make, but I want to hone in on this application. God is faithful, therefore we can trust him to redeem us and complete that redemption and to return for us. That's a wonderful thing, to know that I can depend on God to redeem me and my salvation and bring that redemption to completion all the way to when Christ returns and when he takes me to heaven. He's faithful. He's dependable. He's reliable. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings hope to my heart. That brings confidence to my soul. That brings comfort in times of chaos and uncertainty in this world. When I can't depend on anything else, when somebody leaves me, when somebody rejects me, when people abandon me, when companies let me down, when institutions let you down, no matter what, listen, you can turn to your God and you can know I can depend on Him. He will redeem me and He will return for me. No matter what. You can always depend on God. He will complete our redemption. And He will return for us sooner or later. Take it to the bank. As you can see, we're going to take communion here at the end of the service. You realize communion, Lord's Supper as we sometimes call it, is a reminder of this truth. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness to those who have been redeemed. It's a reminder that he will complete his redemption of what he already began. He proved that faithfulness by sending his son to die on the cross, which now the juice and the bread represent his shed blood, his broken body for us. And if you read the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, we just don't remember Christ's sacrifice. We also look forward to what? His return. So it's a reminder of God's past faithfulness, and it is a reminder that God will be faithful to return for us as well. And so when you come this morning to this table to partake of the juice and the bread, let your heart and your mind reflect on the faithfulness of God to you to complete your redemption in Christ and to return for you as well. What a holy, awesome reminder that is. But this also means that as his sons, as his daughters here this morning, who have been redeemed and who are waiting for the return of Christ, there's an expectation that our Father has of us as Christ's followers. And that brings us to our second point. God expects faithfulness from us. Faithfulness is essential in our service to the Lord, and it's essential in our relationships with other people. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. How about that word required? Who is requiring? Well, God is. He expects faithfulness from you and I. In fact, God not only expects faithfulness, get this, 
One day God will examine our faithfulness. One of Jesus' most familiar parables teaches this very truth. It's called the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The passage that Zach read for us in our scripture reading. Now, again, don't miss the context in which Jesus tells this parable. The parable of the talents as we know it. Jesus tells this parable in the bigger context of Matthew 24 and 25 in which he's talking about his return. The whole point of the parable here, if I could summarize it this way before we get into it, is Jesus is warning us against laziness, which tends to be the antithesis of faithfulness. And he's urging us then, as his followers, to be faithful while we wait for his return. Sometimes we're like Calvin in the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. How many like Calvin and Hobbes? Anybody? Oh, there's quite a few of you do. In one particular scene, Calvin's boss walks by and catches him sitting on his desk, just staring out the window. Why aren't you working, Calvin? Without much thought, Calvin confessed to his boss, because I didn't see you coming. (laughs) Folks, listen to me. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. So don't just sit there. Staring off into the clouds. Don't check out as a Christ follower. Don't dream about taking it easy. Why? Because there's still work to be done before Christ returns. So what I want to do as we look at this parable of the towns is I want to ask us four questions. And when I say ask us, these questions are meant to probe our hearts. These questions are meant for each of us as individuals to allow God to take that question and kind of probe our heart, and we have to do an honest evaluation in light of that question. All right? So the first question is this. What are you going to do till Jesus comes? What are you going to do till Jesus comes? Notice how Jesus sets the stage of this parable in Matthew 25, verse 14. Look at it in your Bibles. You've got to open your Bible, so I don't have these verses typed in your notes. So you've got to open your Bible. So you don't have a Bible, grab one of those black books in front of you. It's called a pew Bible. And turn to Matthew 25, verse 14, and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is making an analogy here. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who, was called, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now, in this parable, the man traveling to a far country is a picture of Jesus leaving earth and someday returning and returning to heaven. But before Jesus leaves, he gives us a job to do, a responsibility to fulfill his purpose for his kingdom. And if you're wondering, well, what's that job? What is that task? Well, we know later on in the same book of Matthew, you go to chapter 28 and the very end of the verse is there. And what does Jesus tell our task is, that our job to do is, that our mission in life is? is to make disciples. That's as simple as that. It's why our church exists. It's why God has still left us here on this earth. is to make disciples. What we call Christ followers. That's the job. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Jesus hasn't left us empty-handed to do it. He has, to take Jesus' words, he has delivered the goods. Not just any goods, his 
goods. And with those goods comes a responsibility to invest those goods for God's kingdom. So what kind of goods has God delivered to us? Well, we know the goods in this particular parable are, quote, talents, because in verse 15 it says, And to one servant he gave how many? Five talents. To another, two talents. And to the third servant he gave one talent. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, in the first century, a talent referred to a very large amount of money, but it also applies to every resource God has given us, including our natural abilities, our spiritual gifts, our material possessions, and even our daily opportunities. And believe it or not, God has delivered to each of us here at least one talent to invest for his kingdom. Now, did you notice that each servant was given a different amount of talents? It's hard to miss that. The master didn't divide by three and give each person an equal portion. Although, that's the way a lot of people in our culture want it to be. Everything should be equal. There's only one problem. God doesn't operate that way. Now, why didn't he give equal talents to Divide by three, because the talents were distributed to each servant according to his own ability. Who made that determination? The master did. Why did the master do it that way? Because he simply wanted to. Do you know what this means? It simply means God's not obligated, obligated to treat you like he treats everyone else. Whoa, blow me away. I know, my boys are still blown away by that when I tell them, I don't have to treat you like I treated him. What? Well, he got that. Why can't I get that too? Tyler, do you realize, where's Tyler? Tyler's back there. Tyler, do you realize I took your younger brother Jack to McDonald's and we got chocolate-dipped ice cream cones? (laughs) You weren't around, so you didn't get one. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. You get the idea. All right? Listen, God can give you more or less than others. You know what? He does. You have more than some, and you have less than others. But we all have the same chance to do something with what we've been given by God. So when it comes to our responsibility now, as Christ followers in the kingdom of God, here's the deal. You've got the goods, and you've got the ability. In fact, you not only have the ability, you've got the power. It's just not your power. It's God's power. Because you go back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage, and Jesus ends there, and lo, I will be with you always. We've got the goods. We've got the ability. We've got the power. So the question is, not how much do you have, but what you're going to do with what you got. It's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have that makes the difference in God's kingdom. You see, these three servants, let me tell you, they clearly understood they were expected to make a profit for their master. That was the whole reason why the master entrusted these three servants with his goods, his talents. Notice what the first two servants did with their talents, verses 16 through 17. He says, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. 
And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. In other words, these dudes were not only faithful, they were fruitful. And the reason they were fruitful is because they were faithful. But notice the third servant, what he did with his talent, verse 18. That he who had received one went and dug it, dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now from the example of these three servants, it's easy to see that even today some people do well and some people do nothing with their God-given resources. And that's why, in a real way, this story, it forces us to kind of come to grips with the question, what you going to do with what you got? And whether you realize it or not, every day we are answering that question by how we live our lives as followers in the kingdom of God. Second question, what are you going to say when Jesus comes? What are you going to say when Jesus comes? Right now, Jesus is away in heaven. But folks, as we just learned, one day he's going to return. How do we know that? Because God is faithful. And the question is, what are you going to say to Jesus when he comes again? None of us want to be audited by the IRS. I don't know anybody here that does. But the day is coming when we will be audited in a real way by Christ. One day Jesus will return and we will have to give a reckoning, an account for how we've used what we've been given, how we have lived as Christ followers in the kingdom of God. The turning point of this whole story here takes place in verse 19. Look at it. After a long time, seems like a long time, doesn't it? since Jesus came the first time. And we're like, man, when's he going to come? It's like going on vacation. The kids are in the back seat. When are we going to be there, Dad? After a long time, here's the good news. The Lord of those servants came. Folks, it may seem like a long time, but Jesus is going to come. And notice what he's going to do. And he settled accounts with them. Jesus is coming Again, and there will be a day of reckoning. While most of us believe this in our heads, I know most of us here, we do. We believe this upstairs. But we don't always live with eternity in our hearts. We don't always live with a kingdom perspective through our eyes. Otherwise, we'd be more focused on making a kingdom difference, making an eternal return for our Lord. The Bible reminds us in Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, imagine the scene here, if you will. As the servants stand before their master and they give an account of their work, the first servant enters the master's office and says, according to verse 20, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides these. You know what? He's saying that pretty joyfully. The second servant enters the master's office and says, according to verse 22, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents besides them. Now, listen, these servants were not bragging. They were simply making a good showing of their stewardship. And as they did, you can imagine not only their joy, but the delight in the master's eyes as the talents are stacked neatly on his desk. And then we come to the third servant, and he, he enters the master's office. 
he seems to be caught off guard just a little bit. I can just picture him frantically digging up one of his talents out of his pocket with dirt still under his fingernails. And he kind of rolls that solitary coin across the desk. And he quickly comes up with an excuse. He says in verses 24 and 25, look at it. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, notice this here. Notice he returned the entire amount to the master. In other words, give the guy credit, he didn't steal the master's money. He didn't even spend the master's money. Instead, he what? He did nothing with the master's money. And that was the whole issue here. So let me ask us another question under this one. When you stand before the Lord... Will you offer him a faithful return like the first two servants? Will you offer him a flimsy excuse like this third servant? That is, what are you going to offer to the Lord when you stand to give an account of your life as a Christ follower in his kingdom? Are you going to offer the Lord a return on the resources he has given you to use for his kingdom? Or are you going to offer the Lord some kind of excuse for why you did nothing with the resources for his kingdom? Well, this brings us to the third question. What are you going to hear when Jesus comes? Because what you do now determines what you will hear from the Lord. I like the personal mission statement of the author and speaker, Steve Farrar. You ready for it? Here's his personal mission statement. Don't screw up. That's his personal mission statement. Don't screw up. I kind of like that. Because we could say this third servant, what did he do? He screwed up. When he did nothing with his talent. Whereas the first two servants, they did well. When they invested their talents and they brought a return to their master... So what did the servants actually hear from the master as they told him what they had done with this money? Well, the two faithful servants, listen, they heard praise. They heard praise from their master. He tells them, well done, good and faithful servants. But the faithless servant heard rebuke. The master tells him, you wicked and lazy servant. And then the master proceeds to tell this faithless servant, verses 26 through 28, you knew that I reap where I have not sown. In fact, it's ironic here, because what the master's doing, he's taking this third servant, the words that he used against the master, and the master's now taking the third servant's words and repeating them back to him. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to at least have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Now, here's a question. It's a somber question. It's a sobering question. Based on your life up to now, this point, what is this? This is August 18th. Here we are, August 18th, 2013. Some of you have been Christ followers for many, many, many years. Others have been Christ followers for less than a year. Up to this point, what do you think you're going to hear from the Lord 
if he would return tonight. If you're unfaithful in using your resources for God's kingdom, you will hear, you wicked and lazy servant. But if you're faithful in using your resources for God's kingdom, then you will gladly hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God's going to say, great job. You didn't just live for yourself while you were here on this earth. You lived for me and my kingdom, and you used the resources I gave you to accomplish my mission. So what do you think you're going to hear from the Lord if he would come today? Brings us to our fourth question. What are you going to receive when Jesus comes? This story teaches that God rewards faithful stewardship and he punishes lazy stewardship. Now, listen to me. In all honesty, I wish there was some way to, can I say it this way, to sugarcoat what Jesus says here in verse 30 about this third servant. Notice what he says. Jesus tells him, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of hard to sugarcoat that statement, isn't it? You know, this is one of the hardest biblical truths to come to grips with because of the severity of Jesus' punishment of this third servant. And yet, God is saying to us that a lazy steward is a worthless steward, therefore a faithless steward who will be cast into the outer darkness. That ought to make us just kind of step back and go, whoa. It ought to make us open up our hearts to God. Because I think we sometimes radically underestimate the importance of our faithfulness with the talents we've been given from our Master. God says a lazy steward is worthless because he wasted the talents he was given. He didn't use his talents to profit the kingdom of God. And God says this lazy servant was faithless because he didn't trust his master or his master's provision. Therefore, the master's judgment was to cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you think of that, weeping and gnashing of teeth, what comes to your mind in the Bible? A place called hell. Now get this, the point here, the point is not that this servant did something morally or ethically wrong. He didn't. The point is that he didn't do anything. Therefore, he lost everything and he suffered in agony. The point of this parable, just as when Jesus told it in his day, the same truth speaks to us today, is that this man 
represents those people who profess themselves to be Christians, who call themselves Christ followers, but in reality, their life gives no evidence of it. In reality, they never give their hearts to the Lord, and therefore they never serve the Lord. They're not faithful in following the Lord. Instead, they have taken all that they've been given. They invest all that they have on themselves and for their kingdom in the here and now because they're still living for this world instead of for God's kingdom. Understand, those who don't know the Lord won't serve the Lord. But those who do know the Lord will use their talents to serve Him. And when we do, we can rejoice over the rewards that God will give us. These faithful servants, it's a beautiful thing. They will receive the reward of being promoted to greater service in God's kingdom. The Master tells the two faithful servants in 20, verses 21-23, He says, You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now that sounds like heaven. You want to get ahead in life? How many want to get ahead in life? Who doesn't want to get ahead in life, right? The problem is we're trying to get ahead in the wrong life. So many people, including Christ followers, are trying to get ahead in this life. This life is temporary. It's not going to last. There's a kingdom life. If you want to get ahead in the kingdom life, then use your resources in this life for God's kingdom. And he will, get this, make you ruler over many things in the next life. So what did Jesus mean when he promised to make you ruler over many things? Well, in a similar story in Luke 19, Jesus promises to give his faithful followers the chance to rule over the cities of the earth in the millennial kingdom. To one, he promised ten cities, and to another, he promised five cities. Now, this is an astounding thought, because it basically means one day, we will share in Christ's triumph when he returns, and we will rule with him in the millennial kingdom. Who doesn't want that? Can you not wait for that day? In other words, if we've been faithful with our God-given resources in this life, then Jesus will give us, quote, cities to rule in the next life. So what city would you like to rule here this morning? If you're faithful now, who knows? God just might give you that city to rule. Mark it down. Write it down. Bank on it. God is what? Faithful. Therefore, We can trust Him to redeem us and return for us. And He expects us to be faithful till that day, till He returns. That's why this parable forces us to come to grips with these four questions. What are you going to do till Jesus comes? What are you going to say when He comes? What are you going to hear when He comes? And what are you going to receive when He comes? Now, the opportunity to answer these four questions is now. In fact, the opportunity to answer these four questions is slipping away with each passing day. And that's why now is the time 
to make the most with what you've been given before it's too late. So where does all this leave us? It leaves us with a very simple charge here for the church at Glenwood, for Christ followers corporately and individually. It leaves us with a simple charge to be faithful. This is what understanding God's faithfulness to redeem us in return for us should create within our hearts and souls a motivation now to be faithful to the very end. This call to faithfulness is to be a faithful follower of Jesus till He comes again. Why? Because we know it is not in vain. Look what Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your what is not in vain? Your labor, your faithfulness, your stick to your perseverance, your w- willingness not to quit and give up. It's not in vain, Paul tells us. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Man, those are some great characteristics that we so admire in others, but folks, God wants to admire those in you. In a lot of ways, faithfulness is where the rubber meets the road as Christ followers. Yes, God expects us to be faithful. And I'm here to tell you, thankfully, God also empowers us to be faithful. You don't have to try to be faithful on your own. He empowers you to be faithful by the power of the Spirit. So through the Spirit now, that dwells within you, you can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is not in vain, which means a day is coming when God will reward your faithfulness. So when you think of giving up in a wand that's halfway through because the kids are driving you crazy, remind yourself faithfulness is not in vain. When you're tired of coming to praise team practice on Wednesday night, No, it's not in vain. God's going to reward. When you're tired of studying for a lesson for kids to teach on a Sunday morning, no, it's not in vain. When you're tired of driving a van, it's not in vain. When you're tired of living for the kingdom instead of your own life out in this world, at home as a homemaker or in your office where you're working, where everybody else is set to get ahead in their own life and in their own careers, understand, I work this job, but there's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger mission, and it's not in vain. I've been called to be faithful. That's what God expects of me. And one day, he's going to examine it, and then he will reward it. Woo! And I don't have to try to do it on my own. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. When I want to quit, the Spirit, whoo, allows me, motivates me. Gives me the unction to keep on going in this kingdom life as a Christ follower. With your heads bowed. And as we prepare our hearts for communion. Listen, let me encourage you to simply use this time to reflect on God's faithfulness. And let it be a motivation for your faithfulness. God has demonstrated his faithfulness to us. 
when he sent his son Jesus the first time to redeem us with his death on the cross. And folks, God will be faithful to send his son the second time to return for us. So allow this communion to be a reminder of that truth, but also allow this time to be a motivation to live as faithful followers of Jesus till he comes again. Perhaps you need to use this time to confess any sin that's holding you back from being faithful. Maybe you need to use this time to kind of re-up your commitment to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Let me encourage you to do that. Kirk's going to play some music, and as he does, and at your convenience, at your leading of the Spirit, if you will, you're welcome and you're invited as a Christ follower to come to one of these four tables to partake of communion. You're welcome to take the bread and the juice back to your seat and to give thanks to God, to do business with God, whatever is needed in your life.